Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Tuesday, January 24th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. This is going to be a, a podcast focusing on some recruiting, starting with Justin Scott, the five-star defensive lineman from Chicago that will be uh, making a visit to Notre Dame here this weekend with a with the expected announcement of his commitment beginning next week, which seems to bode well. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about a little bit more basketball than normal because of Mike Bray's uh, announcement on Friday that he will be stepping down upon the conclusion of the 22-23 season. We'll talk a little bit about candidates, but mostly we'll talk about football and uh, not just recruiting, but present day football, current roster. We'll get to that with burning up the boards in segment two. But let's start with Justin Scott, the five-star defensive tackle, nose tackle. He could play strong side end if he wanted. He probably wouldn't put him at, at the Viper, but he can play anywhere in there. And I think that uh, if he reaches his full potential, I look at him as a four-and-a-half-star player with five-star potential. Uh, if he reaches his potential, he's a difference maker for Notre Dame, a significant difference maker in the middle of the defensive line. He also feels, uh, and this is exacerbated by the loss of the five stars they had on on board going into the cycle last year. It just feels like the the must get of the cycle, the must get, the must keep. And the most important thing you said, Tim, is that positional versatility. If you can play nose and strong side defensive end in the modern era, that's I shouldn't even say the modern era. In the last thirty years of college football, that's a very big deal. Yeah, and let me, Pete. I'm sorry here for you, but let me insert that. You know, we're hearing more and more, more and more talk about Nordin playing more three three five, which would make a Justin Scott that much more valuable. Uh, I think with position versatility there, and we'll talk about that in a second segment. But Pete, you've I know you've had a chance to look at Justin Scott and probably find a a few things out about him. What are your impressions? I mean, he's he's the kind of kid that you see at Georgia and Alabama and Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of those kind of kids uh, on the defensive line in terms of like the agility at that size is is really unique. And I, I realize the competition level is not elite for him um, around sort of Chicago and some of the private schools that he plays against. But uh, if you can move at that size, that really should should translate to college. And like look, Notre Dame needs... I mean, they need multiple Justin Scotts, um, but you got to you got to get a first one. Uh, and so to get him as the first one, I think would be really significant. It's sort of a, you know, if you can hold on to him, obviously, but like that would just that would be a very significant show of recruiting intent um, about where the entire recruiting operation at Notre Dame can go. For old timers like myself, it's it's weird to hear about Catholic Chicago Catholic high schools not being the greatest of competition because <laughs> when I broke into the business, it absolutely was. And 
Jerry Faust was was uh, was recruiting in that area, and Lou Holtz and Notre Dame had a lot of success. Not not in every case, but had a lot of success with uh, mining those those Catholic schools, and it has changed. Um, and and Justin Scott is at at Saint Ignatius, but you know, again, us in the business that look at film over and over and over again. You have to be able to separate competition from the player that you're looking at. And certainly competition is very important. Uh, the size of opponents many times, uh, you know, may, may skew exactly how good a, a prospect is. But when you see the size of this guy and the mobility, and I really, I just really think that, you know, he's a very, very, very good football player right now, but I think there's a, a higher upside for him. And that's what's that's what's so exciting. And you know, we we are seeing. I know that I think I may have mentioned this last week. I know that Kevin Sinclair has brought it to our attention, to everybody's attention. Look at the size of the defensive lineman that Nordame is recruiting. Um, it's a larger, bigger athlete. Number one, you need that if you are in a four man front or a three man front. It, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But if you do play more three man fronts, it is especially important that you play bigger uh, up along the defensive line. And this dude, he's, he has the size. I think he can be, you know, I, I, uh, I think he can fine tune his conditioning a little bit better. And when he does that combined with just the natural size, we're going to see, we're going to see a great player, whether it, whether he ends up in Notre Dame or not, uh, he's not verbally committed. We'll find out about that. I want to talk about verbal commitments and the concern that people have about maintaining him, whether we do that in this segment or with a question in segment two, I will want to talk about that a little bit, but Tim, any further thoughts on Justin Scott? I was about to hit a segue. Do you, that we may have to table for nine months. Do you think this little bit, and that I'd kind of heard separately too, and the three, three, five look, there was a lot of it anyway. There's a lot more nickel going on. Can that happen in 2023 though? Can it happen in 2023? Yeah. Because you're you're concerned about the size of Notre Dame. Concerned about the size of the three. I think uh, you know I I wouldn't expect a full blown conversion to that. Right. I wouldn't. I, I like personally, and again, this is probably my age speaking. I mean, I've always preferred a four man front yeah. because yeah. I want to stop. I want to stop the run first and and foremost. And we have seen not just. I mean, you see at times where three three fives get get gashed a little bit uh, in the running game, and that's always a bit of a concern. We may be getting a ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, They're talking. definitely recruiting towards it, though. I mean, I, I yeah, think there's no doubt. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Kevin Sinclair has pointed this out and written about it, that just look at the size of these guys. And frankly, that's one of my concerns when I look at Jared Smith, who is projected to end up in at Notre Dame with his brother, Jacob, uh, because I think Jared Smith is Jason Adamalola-like. And if you go to a three-man front, that's a little bit concerning. Just I mean, we love Jason Adamalola in his game. Just the sheer size that is needed up front, especially if you're going to play more three down. Does it not, not to go another sidetrack away, but like, does <laughs> it ahead. seem odd that like they're recruiting as many defensive linemen they are, if they plan to take one off the field? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's like, I mean, I know, you know, that, I mean, you got to get a bunch and you're going yeah. to lose some along the way and you need sure. It, it is the position now where you need more bodies than any other position, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I, know I mean, it's a deep. position where you, you play the fewest percentage of the snaps available sure. in the game. Right. Yeah. 
Right. You could bring right. in nine. You can bring in nine. Three won't be any good. Two are going to leave. And now all of a sudden you need to bring in more. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the issue. Right. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, I mean, a lot of we've seen in recent years, we I don't know that we ever really expected to see it under Brian Kelly and Mike Elston, but they started going three deep yeah. at, at positions along the defensive line. And it, it it definitely worked in their favor. And I think, you know, across the board, just the I mean, the size, the speed. The impact, you have to have more bodies uh, because the, the collisions are so great now, um, especially up front, snap after snap, concussions, those kind of things. Um, you need more bodies, you need bigger bodies, and it's going in that direction. I wrote on uh, our, our, our cheat sheet here about the portal closing, but I think inevitably we we come back in every podcast to talk about what still needs to be done for Notre Dame when the portal reopens on May 1st. You know, we're going to talk about these guys and maybe some of these guys may, maybe Notre Dame looks at some of the younger guys and says, you know what, we're going to be ready to play with them. But maybe when the portal reopens, Notre Dame has to revisit, um, you know, up front in, a, in addition to Javante Jean-Baptiste addition from Ohio State. I think that I mean we talked about this probably on our last pod. They got they got to find a Chris Smith plus. Like if you if they just got that, I think that they would have a I would consider it a very successful portal season because um, I think it's basically a very very good portal season based on Sam Hartman by himself. Um, but you can get that to go with Jean Baptiste, Thomas Harper, um, Caleb Smith, like just one power five level interior defensive lineman it doesn't need to necessarily be a nose doesn't necessarily be a three technique it just got to be an interior guy i think Notre Dame would be thrilled with that a 300 pound plus yes yeah 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 not like all like i we all like howard cross's game that's not what they needed the portal no, interior no no they needed they needed Braden fisk a six five 300 pound dude that yeah. you could move around and and play really really play outside in addition to inside and you make Howard Cross much better by adding Chris Smith plus to the roster for 12 games. That that makes Howard Cross way more effective if you have mm -hmm. Chris Smith plus. And, and like, I mean, you know, we look back on the season and you don't normally, you don't really look at Chris Smith as playing a hugely significant role, but I think that's a good point, Tim, in that every snap that Smith took gave Howard Cross an opportunity to be stronger come fourth quarter. Right. He was pretty damn good throughout most of the season. All right. I, be, because we're talking interior defensive line and to your point, Pete, that they need another guy like that. It could be a nose tackle that's already on the roster whose name we have been mispronouncing uh, the entire time. And as I said to uh, Samson before we started recording to quote from animal house, not exactly a quote from animal house, but, you effed up. You trusted me. You <laughs> trusted my pronunciation of Aiden <laughs> Kiana Aina, which I have been, I'm not going to say the old way because we, I, I'm, I have to keep saying it. Ui Ungalale, Ui Ungalale. Kiana Aina, Aiden Kiana. Not anymore. Aina. He's gone. He's not coming back. Uh, he's not, nah, he's, I saw him in the, 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 uh, 
strength and conditioning video and we expect him to he's in class we expect him to uh no i meant oh younger guy is gone oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right we'll now see in that we'll see in the fiesta bowl next year o'malley I was when it's say, notre dame oregon state yeah notre dame's <laughs> gonna play him in a bowl game then we'll have to so well, i got that one down but yeah. kiana aina is one that i'm still working on i look i claimed foul i i on the part of i thought that was the pronunciation that i saw from kiana aina's um twitter account we all know that uh we pronounced the adam alola's wrong because we believe kurt heinich and uh he might have just been trolling us now that you think about it we (laughs) messed (laughs) probably true probably true we messed that up and we messed kiana aina but uh i think we got it we got it down i think the lesson here is that just go ahead and pronounce the name the way it looks generally. I mean, that I think Kiana Aina is kind of how it looks, isn't it? It is, Whoever although it, uh, it was never Tagovailoa, so um, it's yeah, something, to, that's something true. to file away. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's the N and G, the N placed before yeah. G, exception to the rule. We should be mm-hmm. used, used to that with our crazy English language. We're going to have to know how to say Bubakar. Triore, is that right, Pete? I, that's oh, up to you. Triore, tri, triore. Yeah, you're fine right. for two years until you get corrected on it, and then we'll triore. Uh, it's it's Christophic, not Christophic. It's Kevin Bauman, not Bauman. It's Aiden Gobira. We're working on it. You know, Jagasaw, not Jagusa. Jagasaw, Jagasaw. Generally, by the time the guys graduate, we finally get it right. So, anyway, my point being. Kiana Aina, can't he be the big guy in the middle of the defensive line? He's not 6'5", but he's a 300-pounder, and he's strong. And as I've said many times, he won a job in goal line a couple years ago before he blew out his knee. Yeah, and he beat out, or he was ahead of Rubio going in before he blew out his knee. He he hurt his ankle when he – he broke his ankle when he won the goal line job back in that's August right, that's of right. a year ankle. ago. Yeah, yes. And if people are wondering why we're talking about this, we were told that he was told he's just not going to be, a, he doesn't have a, a, a spot on the team possibly next year. Um, shocking to both of us or to all three of us, right? Because we think if I am trying to figure out what I need on my team and I have that guy sitting there and I look at my glaring hole, that's the last guy I think might be expendable for Notre Dame football team going into an off season. Player what? He's player. He's player eighty five. Are you kidding? Yeah, me? Yeah, we just talked about how many defensive linemen you need. Right, right. And we're going to talk more about D line. I mean, we're going to talk about this. You know how this goes. I mean, we're going to talk about it up to and through the season. We have a question, a great question in segment two, of which I have no answers for, which makes it a great question, I believe. But let's let's we'll get back to that. Let's move. I, I do want to get to now that we got the pronunciation of. Kiana Aina, see how I keep saying it just so and, can, every, and everybody else down too. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. And you know, most of them don't really care. I'm sure that, you know, Aiden, they can just say Aiden. Uh, we have to actually say it publicly, but I do want to wrap up this segment with Mike Bray. And um, we found out on Thursday, the South Bend Tribune, Tom Noy found out on Thursday that um, Bray was going to uh, announce his resignation, not retirement, or that, I'm sorry, that he would step down from the Notre Dame position upon the conclusion of the season. And then Bray made it official on Friday. We had a lot of fun with him. He had he joked that the only way he could get an interview done in Notre Dame football stadium 
uh, interview room was to step down after 23 years as head coach at Notre Dame. We all love Mike Bray, the person, uh, but I, I, but I've said several times, I believe he's a very self-aware person. And some of the things that he said on that day indicated that he pointed out 12 NCAA tournament appearances in his first 17 years, one in the last six, he was asked why now? And that was one of the reasons that he gave and that's self-aware it's not happening anymore. And the roster is going to need complete reconstruction going into next year with hopefully Bray assisting in keeping that, that really good, solid, good freshman class the, with the potential that it has. Yeah. You know, I think he has probably done 50% of what he needs to do to keep them. When, when he mentioned telling their families, look, show some patience here, find out who the next coach is, talk to the next coach, voice your concerns to me, but don't make a rash decision. Don't just go somewhere. But that's all. I mean, that that's about it, Tim. Once, once we hit Notre Dame has a new coach, Mike Bray doesn't need to consult his ex-players that much. I think it's, I think it was a nice sentiment that he's going to help out and do all. And I think that's great. But as soon as there's a new coach in place, it, it is no longer Mike oh, Bray's program. It's yeah, got to no be doubt. that way. No doubt. Um, but he, it, as long as he's, he has taken – and that's why I asked him that after the game. I mean, you need you needed Mike Bray to take the initial steps with yeah with, oh, yes. with, yeah. with J.J. Starling and Van Allen Lubin and Dom Campbell too. I mean, Dom Campbell needs some work conditioning-wise, but, man, I mean, that's the big, that's the big body that – actually should needs to get on the floor more. And I asked about Van Allen Lubin. He played six minutes in the second half. The kid had four of the seven, the team's seven offensive rebounds. I, I think, I think there's, I think there's more danger of losing Van Allen Lubin than there is JJ Starling at this point. Pete, what's your perspective? Uh, I thought Bray, I agree with his self-awareness. He he's out of gas. Um, I think he's probably been out of gas for a little bit. Um, you know, in some ways I feel like last season was like on fumes. Um, and but like it ended so well, like no yeah. one likes to walk away that way. You're like, oh, I gotta keep going. Um, you know, and then Ed, I mean, you guys have been to more games than I have this year, but like watching him on the sidelines, I don't see a coach who's like fired up, motivational in a way that I, I remember early Bray or mid Bray. Um, and that's it's just a coach who I think is out of gas and he knows it. Um, you know, when I asked him, you know, this job's changed, but the sports changed. So like what traits does the next coach need to have? I mean, he said energy, 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 like, and I just think that Bray, Bray for being an energy giver for most of his career, I just don't think he has a lot left, which is totally fine after 23 years. That's not a, not a criticism, but, um, they just, they need a, a really an influx of energy from whoever the next coach is. Um, and I will, and I'm, you guys have some thoughts on kind of where Notre Dame may be going there. Yeah. It's a shame. I, I don't, Tim, I'm sorry. I, I don't blame okay. Mike Bray for not retiring after that run last year. Cause I think he got rejuvenated by that super fun week of basketball, double overtime to remain in the tournament, an upset of power five team in Alabama. That's what was 11 and a six seed had Texas tech close to the point where maybe you make one or two adjustments and you're able to beat Texas tech in that game and go to the sweet 16. I actually, the way he mentioned flying home on the plane, he thought about maybe hanging it up, but he had so many guys coming back. I wonder if he'd have hung it up if they made the sweet 16, if you would have felt like, all right, man, I just maxed everything out right here. Yeah. And honestly though, had he done that, this is, this, this is playing <laughs> fantasy basketball right now. There's no way Nate Lashesky comes back for another year. If Mike Bray leaves. 
I don't know what happens with guys like Good Goodwin and Ryan to probably come back as they had found their footing. It would just been a different team. It would be a whole different situation. And it's an absolutely stunning one year pause on the basketball program that I did not see coming. The worst case scenario for me this year going into the year was struggle to get into the NCAA tournament because the ACC stinks, but you get in anyway and you're exposed in the first round. And that's an ugly end to it. That's you imagine that instead of this. Yeah, I know. I mean, we all expected that next season would be or, or upon the conclusion of this season. And, you know, we've talked about the loss of Atkinson, uh, the, the athleticism that Wesley brought to it. And I personally have not given enough credence to losing Prentice Hub, who for as wild and crazy as we perceived him to be playing at times, he ran the offense. And, and now we see that the offense is dysfunctional as well. I did in watching the Duke Virginia tech game last night, I kind of forgot that Grant Basile was playing for hmm. Virginia tech and Notre Dame was in on him as a transfer. And that kid's a good player. What I, I wonder, I'm not saying one player could have changed one and eight in the ACC. Is that what it is? One and eight or one and nine. Yeah, and, and, and that to your point, Pete, about give it, the give lack, it 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> the lack of uh, the lack of energy. I, I as a former coach, it, it's, I had a bad year in there. It, it's hard to motivate when you're going so poorly, you know, you, you reach a point where, you know, you're kind of pounding your head against the wall, motivating when you know that, man, I've done that already and it didn't work. Um, and so that's part of it, but I do think that he's, he's, um, you know, lacking a little bit of, uh, a little bit of juice right now, but Grant Basile is a good player. And I wonder if he was on this team and would have given them an inside presence they wouldn't be one and eight. I mean, they lost a couple one point games. They'd probably be more like, I don't want to overstate it, three and six, four and five. And then it wouldn't be as, then he, if you were four and five, even at three and six, you know, Brace made runs before where, um, you know, yeah, it's four and five, you can make that run. They, they bring it, they pull it together and they have a great run to end the season. But uh, that didn't happen. Basili chose Virginia Tech who now is only two and seven themselves in the conference. They're having a, a poor year, which is a little harder to explain, I believe, based upon their roster. Uh, but anyway, that's where we are with Mike Bray. I think we, um, I, I kind of bumped into him in a hallway in while I was writing my post game and, um, you know, had a chance to express to him what he means to me. I think he's a great dude and, and uh, has been really good to us and everybody in the media pretty much, but um it was time. And so we'll talk more about him, but certainly much more football in the second segment. But at the end of this uh, second segment, we'll, we'll throw out some more names as uh, possibilities to re replace Mike Bray. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Survivor 46 is here. And so is on fire. The only official survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. 
visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. In 1916, Irish rebel forces have taken up position on the north side of Dublin's St. Stephen's Green Park. They exchange fire with the British to the south. Suddenly, a man enters the park with a brown bag above his head. Both sides cease fire. The park's groundskeeper has come to feed the ducks. For the next six days, there is a daily ceasefire so the ducks can be fed. Learn more when you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Segment two of Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from ND from NJ3. All signs point to Justin Scott committing to Notre Dame. After what transpired with the previous three five-star recruits, what should make us confident about the commitment not taking a turn this early before signing day? It's a legitimate question, and I think something that we've all considered at some point. But when you when you look at it, when you look at it a little bit beyond the surface, I think you have to treat each situation on its own merit. And um, you know, the fact that that it that Justin Scott is a five star player does put a different slant on it. It's it's different than than four star guys. I, I I admit that, but I do think that. There are some things working in Notre Dame's favor here, the proximity of Chicago to Notre Dame and him being a Midwest kid in a Midwest family, I think, you know, plays a significant role or should play a significant role here. And when you, like, you know, when you compare it to a, a Keon Keeley from Florida and a Peyton Bowen from from Texas and a Dante Moore who's, who's you know, Team Moore was going to, leverage every single opportunity that came up on every single day of recruiting in order to benefit Dante Moore and the family as much as they possibly could. So, I mean, there's some dynamics here that I think are completely different. I get the whole five-star correlation and and there, there is a difference between maintaining a five-star and a four-star just because of NIL and the amount of interest that, a player of that caliber generates, but I do think that uh, having said all that and guaranteeing absolutely nothing, ten months, ten plus months in advance, um, you know, Notre Dame, if they win this this battle, um, it's still it's better than the alternative. I know a lot of people say, "Well, I, I'm not going to care until he signs." Well, that's that's kind of silly, isn't it? Because I mean, most of the guys that commit sign, um, and, and I and I think that if they get Justin Scott to commit. I think Notre Dame's going to feel a lot better about their opportunity to hold on to him than they have some of the recent guys. Uh, a couple of things. One, we heard Dante Moore wanted to stay in the Midwest, Midwest family, yada, yada. So it's like the, the local proximity, I think, matters a lot less than maybe it used to um, with NIL and just how national the sport is. But two, even though they lost Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen, I feel like Notre Dame got a lot of mileage out of them in the sense of like Notre Dame had a top five class the entire cycle. We spent a lot of time talking about Marcus Freeman's recruiting acumen and prospects notice. Um, They notice who's in the top five, even though it sort of stumbled at the end. um, You're better. You're better to have had Keon Keeley for six months, nine months, 12 months than if he had just committed to Alabama in the first place. Um, so I wouldn't, I'm not saying that that makes up for it or anything, but uh, I'm just saying that there is value in a verbal commitment sometimes, even if they don't turn into a signee later. 
I think Notre Dame is also better equipped to handle the uh, NIL landscape with a five-star going into the Justin Scott retention than they were last year with everybody else. You learn from those things. There's more opportunities there. There's more money there. And uh, it's still 10 months. Yeah, I mean, you could be nervous all you want. You, you, desert, you should be. It's 10 months, 10 months away from signing day. Notre Dame has, first of all, Notre Dame needs to play pretty well, right? Justin Scott coming to Notre Dame if they're eight and four. Yeah, and they lose to and they lose to Central Michigan and USC and <laughs> Ohio State. Probably not. Yeah, no, no doubt. I think I think both you guys are making great points. There is to to your point, Pete. I think there is great utility in in Keeley and Boeing being committed to Notre Dame at some point. Hey, you had to start like Notre Dame wasn't getting five star commitments, generally speaking, under Brian Kelly, and so it has that part. You can't get a commitment. I mean, you can't get a signing until you get a commitment from a, a five-star guy. Um, and so I agree with that. I, and, and Tim, I agree with you in terms of where Notre Dame is now NIL and where they were a year yeah. ago. I think our Pete, when you agree with that, I mean, completely different plane from where they were a year ago. Well, yeah, I mean, and they have sort of proof of concept that they can go to recruits and be like, look, we have fund. It's basically a, a kind of a universal income for every scholarship player on the roster. Here's how this worked for them. Also, we have the Kyle Hamilton experience, the Michael Mayer experience. I believe Tyler Buckner has done well with NIL stuff. Like they have sort of proof of everybody gets something. And if you're a stud, you can get a lot. Um, just having more of that in play, I think, makes a difference. And like, you know, if Justin Scott's being recruited by Florida, you can be like, look at that tire fire down there with NIL. Like other schools are sort of struggling with it a little bit. Um, whereas I think Notre Dame has has now a little bit of like proof of concept that they can show in recruiting. And, and another thing, and maybe this is minor compared to everything we said there, but that's why when 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 the comment is made that it's a meaningless bowl, it, it is that was so that was a meaningless win for Notre Dame. In the Gator Bowl, I don't believe that. The tone setting that occurs with a loss in a bowl game and a win in a bowl game, especially in the manner that that one transpired, I think is is huge and it carries over. There's a completely different – look at our message board. Think how much complaining there would be about the Gator Bowl if Notre Dame continued to play that game like they did in the first half. That would still be at the forefront of everything that we talked about. So it sets a tone. Um, I would add that to the to the mix as well. But Tim, you're right as well. Eight and four. Yeah, you gotta be better. Gotta be better. Obviously, people know that though. They don't want to want to say it out loud, but you you got you can't go eight and four again if you're Marcus Freeman next year. I'm sorry, that's not a lot. You know, and I realize the Northern has dominated the ACC in the regular season, but you look at that schedule and it's different than it's it's but you gotta be you're Notre Dame. You gotta be you can be better than eight and four in your second year. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely you have to be. If you're gonna if if we're gonna talk about getting the Justin Scotts of the world. You have to be. Question from Donnelly, 3434. With Javante Jean-Baptiste primarily, primarily a rush end, Junior Tui Alamaka getting work at Viper, and Riley Mills clearly better suited inside, it seems like there's a void at big end. Nano Safa Mensa seems like he's ready for a larger role, but is Alexander Ehrensberger? How about Aiden Gobira? Does big end depth arrive from the portal? And do we know if Tui, Al- Tui Alamaka's move to Viper is permanent? A lot of questions in there, boys. Well, yeah, a lot of questions. Um, the Tui Halamaka thing, I just want to touch on again for people that haven't heard it. We first heard about that. Pete, you mentioned it to me 
during an August, the famous August scrimmage where Buckner didn't throw a pass, but he was reported for throwing amazing passes for other places. Uh, the famous scrimmage where Braden Lindsay made the catch from Drew Pine. Tui Halamaka rushed Drew Pine. I said, holy cow, that looked good. And Pete Sampson said, I've heard he's going to be a Viper. <laughs> that was in August. So I don't know if the move is permanent, but I have considered him a Viper for six months. So in my mind, it's permanent. Aiden Gobira seems a year away from playing a big end role. If you're talking about going better than nine and four or eight and four, right? Yes. I don't see Aiden Gobira as a big end yet. I know Kevin Sinclair thinks he'll be a big end, but he's not going to be a, a, he's not a number two big end at Notre Dame yet. If you're going to be a, a top 12 team. No, I, and on to the Halamaka, we asked him, do you consider him yourself a Viper? And he said, yes. So I think that he kind of thinks that's where he's going to align. Um, Alexander Ehrensberger could be, could he be a, your number two big end, which, and which probably is your number eight over maybe your number nine defensive lineman. Probably. Yeah. I'd I love mean, him I'm, to I'm, be my two B. Wouldn't you like that? You got a one, a two A and a two B right now. They have a yeah. two. Yeah. You'd like, answer. you'd like somebody else in addition, but Ehrensberger is somebody who would have value for you as a, as a reserve guy who's just been in the program long enough and is strong enough to, to hold the point of attack. So yeah, he's a senior going to the, he'll be, a, you know, with, with yeah. multiple year multiple years of eligibility left, but he is a senior with, with three years, really three right? with three years left, yeah, right? Three years left. Uh, great question. I'm not sure that I have an answer for any of them, which is what makes it a, a, a great question. I mean, you know, I, we're hearing a lot of talk about uh, Jean Baptiste being a strong side end. I, at this point, I think it was LT Irish uh, on our message board made some really good points on why he believes that's going to happen. Um, and so at this point, I'm not doubting that. My point is that's his second best position. Yeah, I think so, there's you can so easily point to a reason why it should happen because yeah, they don't have anybody right. else. That's not but I, that's but not I a good think reason. That, I think the big end position would be Jean Baptiste's second best position. Okay, so 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 be, so be it. Uh, to uh, to Alamaca, yeah, I think long term. I don't think that he has the typical length that you want but i do think that he has i think what the I, the main thing that tui alamaca brings to the viper end is the ability to stop the run i mean he i think he's better equipped to do that than batello i think he's better equipped to do that than jean baptiste if he ends up uh, on, on that side uh mills clearly better suited inside still not sure that they have the luxury to just go ahead and do that uh, Aaronsberger, I do think could be a number two big end. I mean, they played him a little bit at the beginning of last year and I know they kind of gave up on that. Uh, yeah, that was but, odd. That was a strange. Yeah. Hold. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I thought so too, yeah. but, um, you know, fourth year in the program with three years of eligibility left. I mean, you really would like to, man, you need some productivity out of him. Right. My comment about Aaronsberger is not about him as much as it is Osafa Mensa. I think Osafa Mensa is a two a Aaronsberger is a two B in a perfect world and Khalid Kareem is number one. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're nice right. World. Yeah. Yeah. So probably, you know, Safa Mensa and John Baptiste are a one and one, a kind of situation with Aaronsberger as the third guy in there. Gobira, I think he has Viper. He has the Viper skill set in terms of athleticism, but his length maybe projects to the, the big, you know, we, that, that's why I say, I don't, I, I don't know. 
I don't know any of us can answer these questions. Yeah. Now. We'll continue to ask them and it'll, it will evolve and it'll be fun to fun to track. I just don't think we can say anything definitive at this point. Go the last time I saw him looked like a shooting guard that was coming to play for Bray. Yeah. Yeah. So I no, think he, yeah. unless a lot has changed since then, I yeah. would think you would. Need I agree with you guys. I think 2024 is when you, you start to really anticipate that, that he emerges. And again, we talked about in segment one about, Three three five. How does that impact, um, you know, how all these guys align? So I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I have answers. I have suggestions and possibilities, but these are going to be questions that we're going to ask. As I said, up to and probably through the the 2020 no, November. Season. Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is a question to be asked right. for the season. Right. Right. VR Irish fan 22. The last two recruiting classes, we've seen Blake Fisher and Drake Bowen be the leader within their respective classes by recruiting players to join. CJ Carr seems to be taking that role for 24. How much more impact do you think it has on other potential recruits when that leader is a quarterback as opposed to a different position? I, I think GR Irish, you're looking at it from how you view the quarterback position, but offensive linemen would look to offensive linemen to be leaders, uh, defensive linemen. I, I don't think that uh, it's great that CJ Carr is that guy. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear that he is, but I don't think that in the entire team dynamic that that's any different, you know, I just, I don't think that that is any more significantly impactful than what Fisher did and what Jake Drake Bowen did. I think, I mean, it, it, I think it helps a little bit more um, just based on the nature of the position. Um, you know, does Notre Dame, does Notre Dame need that? a, I'm just saying like, does Notre Dame need a ringleader at the offensive line? Probably not like Notre Dame's own offensive line reputation does it for it. Um, so it's just like, it, it helps uh, probably is probably more with like the skill positions. Yeah. I think I they probably thinking. pay attention to it more um, than, than they would otherwise. But, um, yeah, I mean, somebody's got to do it. You need somebody in your class to do it. So that that's the most important thing. The fact that it's a quarterback is like you get a little, you know, 5%, 10% boost because it's your quarterback. I was going to say I give a little, even a little more boost that, I mean, Drake Bowen might end up being a much better player than C.J. Carr for all we know at college football. But C.J. Carr right now is a bit of a draw for every skill position player that you can talk to that I, he, he does affect more recruits in that he can affect receiver running back, tight end. Anyone fast. He doesn't affect defensive backs, linebackers. No, maybe, maybe not. Um, Maybe not, but I I get it. He's CJ Carr is a much more high high profile recruit than Drake Bowen. Fair enough. So that's where I think if your highest profile recruit is a big recruiter, that's a big deal. It's kind of like whether you believe Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman or not, Brian Kelly said, I want my best players to be my captains. Marcus Freeman said, I want my biggest players to be my captains. You know, like it's, I think CJ Carr is the high profile guy. And okay, it helps. true. So if Justin Scott commits to Notre Dame, then you want him to be the guy that, that leads the charge. I'm not sure that that's who he is or. I want CJ Carr to lead the charge. I think CJ Carr is the highest profile. Since he's the quarterback is the highest profile guy coming in. Yeah. And it's like, it's because it's not just he's the quarterback. It's also his personality is naturally suited yeah. to do that. So if you can get those two things working in concert together, I think that's a good thing. I mean, like they've had guys in the past. Like I think Drew Pine actually did a good job of this when he was a recruit. Um, You're not supposed to talk was, about him. He, sorry, but he was available and did a nice job. Um, everybody liked him. But it's like, how about this? 
Marquis Stepp did a really good job of this when he was committed to Notre Dame a long time ago. Obviously, it all fell apart, but you you just need some kind of hub organizer. And it's when it's, when it's a quarterback who's also a top 50 player, I just you get a little extra out of that. So the best it's so it's important that the best player in the class, it's more important that the best player in the class leads the recruiting charge. Um, I, I think you get extra points for that. If it's a quarterback, that's even more. Um, but it's like if Justin Scott is kind of an introvert, like Ishak Williams was very highly rated. Stefan Tuit is very highly rated. Aaron Lynch was very highly rated. I don't think any of those guys would have been no. like, I'm keeping the class together because no, their personalities are, were not so, geared that so way. Profile plus personality. Yeah, personality is big. Like, yeah. And profile and position there. is a bonus. It's, it's just like having Kyle Hamilton come talk to a safety recruit or having an incredibly successful safety like Julian Love come talk to a safety recruit. People just, they want to hear from Kyle Hamilton right now. I think it just kind of, we're probably talking way too much about this, but I think CJ Carr is from central casting of college yes. quarterback coming in and can make people, he can kind of get well, people. Every, his backstory is like the central casting backstory. Like what is Notre Dame looking for guys who want to set out on their own and write their own stories? Like who's writing their own story more than freaking CJ Carr, whose grandfather was the head coach at Michigan. Like, that's a super easy pitch to make. I I have I don't know about you guys, but I have people ask me, do I think that uh, CJ Carr will stick? And I'm, it's like yes. I, we don't have any any inkling or any reason to believe that he won't. Nothing's a hundred percent. Yeah, nothing's hundred percent. We have but no I would be no inkling whatsoever that CJ Carr is not going to stick in Notre Dame. I can't. It's hard to imagine a guy more committed to Drake Bowen certainly was. And certainly Blake Fisher, the, the kind of guys that we're talking about here. Okay, a uh, question from Irish from A2. Which stat from the 2022 season was more surprising? Maris Leofau leading the defense in total snaps or Tyler Butner throwing three touchdown passes and three pick sixes? <laughs> I mean, I figured, I figured second one is hard to do. The second one's hard to do. Um, I figured Buckner for some pick sixes, though. I wrote about it in his preview every time I wrote about it because he throws bad passes on third down under pressure. So I figured but those a, were actually going to happen. A one to one TD to pick six ratio. That's now, like, there that's has impossible. to be there has to be an, there has to be an injury to that. So that's why that was there. If Tyler Buckner played the whole year, he'd have thrown twenty touchdown passes and four pick sixes. So see, how I threw that one in there. He got another one coming to him. <laughs> um, no, the Maris Leaf, but Leaf, I would have thought Leafau could have led the defense in snaps. Maybe not led the defense in snaps, but preseason we love Maris Leafau. Yeah, or, that's or pre-summer. That, yeah, that's my reaction. That uh, led the defense in snaps well, in August. That wouldn't have surprised us. I think what surprised us is in retrospect, the it's inconsistency crazy. of his game and leading the team, leading the defense in snaps. That's that's the surprising part. But three TDs and three pick sixes, <laughs> that's uh, uh, you can you can make a lot of money make uh, with, with the odds on that bet. I took a lot. I took a um, new perspective of Tyler Buckner when he joked about accounting for seven touchdowns in that game. I thought that was very funny. That that was. Yeah. I know he won the game and it was well done. But when he said yeah. I accounted for seven touchdowns too, I didn't really plan on. I thought that was a really good. I think it was to- initially stated uh, to his, his quarterbacks coach and, uh, you know, Buckner can be kind of understated. So I'm sure it was delivered in a, a fairly droll way. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, good, good on him to be able to find light in, in the face of, of adversity, but also victory as well. 
play like a champ seven. Is there a player or two or three who could have the kind of spring practice that would make you reevaluate Notre Dame's 2023 outlook in a more positive manner? And I'm wondering if we talked about that position already. Uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we did. I, I, but I want to throw in a few more names as well, by the way, I threw in the, or two or three play like a champ seven said, is there a player? I don't believe in a player changing, uh, an entire outlook on a season. So I put two or three in there. The first one that comes to mind for me is Jordan Botello. Uh, but you know, and that's why I say the defensive line. I mean, it could be, it could be Tyson Ford. It could be Mason Anya. I mean, I, you know, there, it could be Donovan Heinish. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not leaning towards one over another per se. I mean, Gabe Rubio fully reaching his ability could, could be significant. Um, Kiana Aina, a guy, you know, emerging and playing really, really well on a consistent basis. So anyone up there, I, I, I don't know if you want to guys want to add anyone to those guys. The one that I would, well, I just said a whole bunch of names. I'll let you guys plug first or next. <laughs> I would say, uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, uh, basically anybody who could make Joe Alton like Fisher not look like they're superhumans would be a positive development because that would mean Notre Dame would have a pass rush, um, which I is kind of my number one question for the team next year. So any any defensive end flashing would make me reevaluate the team. And this is like, I feel like I'm projecting a trade in the draft and then who that team picks. But like if somebody like Christian Gray as an awesome spring, so good that they can move Clarence Lewis to safety. That would also sort of make me think, Ooh, okay. Maybe the, the defense has a little bit more depth at the back end because their cornerback position is even better than what we already thought. Yeah. I, Tim, I was originally kind of with you on the Ford Rubio. If you could tell me like, man, Ford and Rubio, they might have to, they might start for us if you said something like that, but I still think that's the jump from what do you have to, okay, they're pretty good. If someone said to me, we have to find a way to rotate Kaiser at Will Linebacker because we absolutely must play Jalen Sneed on every play this year, that would re- that would be a reevaluation mm-hmm. for me. If someone said Jalen Sneed has to be on that field the whole time, yeah. we got to rotate Kaiser out there somewhere else at, at weak side linebacker, I'd think, whoa, now something's happening. And, and I think it's interesting that I think you're in agreement listening to the guys that you're saying. I mean, we're they, we're all we're picking all defensive players. You know, I mean, a, yes. a, a Don Schuler. if we come, first of all, I'm not sure that there's something out of spring that we are going to be privy to that will necessarily allow us or to coerce us into making that jump here. But, but all things being equal, like a, a, and a Don Schuler, um really stepping forward at safety, but to throw out an offensive guy, Billy Shrouth, I mean, if it looks like, yeah. wow, Billy Shrouth is definitely a starting guard. Now you don't have, you don't have to, you know, typically it's been, um, you know, red shirt dabble a little, your red shirt freshman year, and then start in your third year in the program. If Shrouth is a guy who can come out of spring saying he definitely has to be one of the starting guards, you figure that a, a Christophic, at least he has some experience. He's not going to be, I mean, he, at, at worst, he's serviceable and he's probably, he's better than that. If a Billy Shrouth emerges, okay, now you got now you got your guards, and uh, you can go into the offseason into August feeling really good about your offensive line. Anybody else you guys would think of? I mean, Sam Hartman would be 
nice to see him have a good spring. Oh yeah, that too. I mean, I know I, we sort of bake in he'll, he'll be really good, but like seeing it at Notre Dame in spring would would be significant to me. Yeah, yeah I, I'm much higher on the receivers. I feel like last year we were very accurate on you guys don't you guys need to understand these receivers are not looked upon highly by Notre Dame staff or by people that are evaluating wide receivers. I don't feel that way anymore. I, th- I think you're going to get a hit, a couple of hits out of the Merriweather, Colsey, Jaden Thomas. And of course, and I really like the Caleb Smith addition with Hartman because of the downfield pass catcher and how much Hartman can throw it downfield with back shoulder and everything. I, I think you get good receivers out of those four. Then you have an X factor and styles. And for the love of all that is pure and holy, you figure one freshman could maybe contribute at some point for Notre Dame's wide receiver core when they're enrolling early, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I mean, think about where, I mean, I'm just, just throwing this out there. Think about how Tommy Reese thinks about Jaden Thomas today compared to a year ago. Gosh. And Deion Colsey. Compared to August. Buried. Colsey was buried. Colsey was cold. They, oh yeah. They did not have a, a, a high opinion of him. And that, that certainly has changed. Uh, Caleb Smith. Absolutely. Um, and the freshman that you're referring to, Tim, it should be, it probably should be Jaden Greathouse, depending upon where he is with his meniscus. It doesn't even have to be September. Just those guys no. should contribute this year. You should <laughs> yeah. be able to get something. Yeah. guys. No doubt. No doubt. But again, most of the guys that we're looking at are on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with uh, just the development of the offense uh, in 2022 and uh, Mr. Sam Hartman. We have a very obvious answer to this one, so we're all going to have to think outside the box after the obvious answer. From Fanhood, you are Marcus Freeman, and you're sitting in a five-stars living room. You cite one Notre Dame role model that has excelled both in the NFL and after. The definition of four for 40, who is that alum and why? You're thinking about Justin Tuck? Yes. Which is who uh, subscriber Jake Jensen, I believe, mentioned that. And that's absolutely right, Justin Tuck. Um, Absolutely. I, I would go. I don't know that this would resonate because he's he's an older player. But um, I mean, you guys know how I feel about Bryant Young, and uh, just I think we got to go younger for the resonating. Yeah, I so, think right? so. I think so too. And I think it's kind of hard to do that. It is for me. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it would be Tuck then Young. Um, you know, I I would actually use Kyle Hamilton if he was willing to be used in this way um, yeah. because you know this was from Georgia from Atlanta Georgia is right there um, you know came to Notre Dame and I think did the three and out but come back for your degree which he's doing right now like that's all like the story Notre Dame once said I think Notre Dame is very comfortable with like the three and out come back get your degree story like the four or the three minus one plus one for 40, whatever, however you want to make that math work. (laughs) Like that, that part of it, they're cool with. And like that, that's what, I mean, Marcus Freeman says that he's like, I want to sign first round picks. Well, first round picks very rarely stay in school for four years and that's fine. Um, But just, we're going to put you in position to get your degree afterwards. Exactly what's happening with Kyle Hamilton right now. Um, So that 37 is fine. It's a lot of money. If you get that right. Three for 37 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) You know, yeah, Pete, you're absolutely right about Hamilton, and and you know we probably you, you, we wouldn't say that if he had just had a typical rookie season, but he had anything but a typical right. rookie season. I mean, we're seeing 
We're seeing rated rated the highest safety in the NFL, not just the highest rated rookie. Uh, he had a he had, he had a tremendous rookie season, and so yeah, uh, man, you push him to the front and shine a light on him, especially now that he's uh, he's in class and um, will be on the on the football field in in the spring, uh, offering some constructive. Uh, contributions to the uh, 2023 team. Yeah, I definitely think about it. Hamilton was a one that came to mind too. That's seemed outside the box when I thought of it, but Pete explained why it is not outside the box. Um, then, you know, you figure, I mean, once again, this is kind of like that CJ Carr thing. Hamilton's a such higher profile than Drew Tranquil or Kyle Rudolph or even Harrison Smith. Those yeah. guys are great role models for this situation, but people know Kyle Hamilton right now. Heck, you yeah. well, if you're Marcus Freeman, it's 2024. I'm going to talk about Michael Mayer. Right. It's, I mean, Zach Martin would be amazing, but like, yeah, he does, you could use Stanley or Nelson or McGlinchey. Yeah, we, just don't, uh, we don't know. We don't know the 40 part of it for, for right. those guys, but I, Zach, you know, Mar he, Zach Martin's 40 is looking pretty good. I think. How about, you know, that. I know he's an older guy, but Jerome Bettis, I mean, he came back the, this past and He's year. in the news too. That's a good one to bring up as Jerome and he's Bettis. A, he's an extremely successful businessman. That, that, that's the part is like, you know, we don't hear about who are the. How Rudolph would be successful. that. Yeah, the really successful businessman. I mean, I could throw out uh, again an old timer, but Stance Magala retired at age forty nine, and it wasn't because of the money that he made in the NFL. And I realize he wasn't an NFL standout, so there's some criteria that has to be met for the four question. for twenty eight. That's a good job too. Four for twenty eight. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, we have a question from uh, Indy Squid twenty three. We're gonna pop in back into basketball here. What are reasonable expectations for the Nordic men's basketball program moving forward? The consensus seems to be making the NCAA tournament four out of five years with at least one deep run through the ACC and March Madness during that time. One, one ACC deep run, one March Madness uh, deep run over the course of five years is what Indy as long as deep run is sweet 16 and elite eight, right? That's yeah, a deep I, run. I, That's a deep run. Yeah. Sweet 16 is, is, uh, yeah, that's that constitutes. You get to the second weekend, and you're you're uh, yep. you're among the upper echelon. I, I don't disagree with this consensus. I can start four out of five some, tournament. I, yeah, I could find semantics in here, but that's, that's yeah. I feel like that. I'm a I'm like two out of I feel like it's a two out of three for me making the tournament. Which is yeah, certainly that's even better. That's even better, but. No, that's not as good as four out of five. What are you talking about? No, it's about? even better. It's an even better way. Don't of you help your kids it. with their math? It's an even better way of looking at it. Like it was on our board. Um, McCormick pointed out, like North Carolina made the NCAA tournament twelve out of eighteen, twelve out of sixteen. Northern or twelve out of seventeen. Like Mike Bray. I mean, it's very close. Kentucky misses tournaments too. Right. So I don't think I, people realize how much yeah. teams miss the tournament. Also, to go to the Sweet Sixteen, you do have to beat. Either you get lucky because you play a team that upset a very good team, and that's probably a pretty good team still, especially like how much parity there is, or you have to beat a four or a five seed to get there. Right, and I think it's, they don't allow everybody into the Sweet Sixteen. It's hard to get there. It's it's harder now to make it every year because the ACC is so average. I mean, Notre Dame finished; yeah. they went fifteen five in the ACC, and they had to do they had to participate in a play in game. That's amazing to me. They finished second in the ACC, it's so. Still that's still that's still that's, that still annoys yeah, me a little I know. bit. <laughs> I, it, 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 that doesn't seem right, but they're doing. You know, they're using power rankings, and ACC just doesn't carry a whole lot of weight anymore. It's SEC and the Big Twelve. 
Um, and, and Notre Dame's not in either one of those and they're not going to be in the big 10. They're going, they're going to remain in the ACC, but yeah, it's harder than ever. I think the two out of three is probably the number. That's a yep. little bit, the 66% as opposed to 80% of the time, you know, maybe seven out of 10, if we can expand it to 70% of the time, whatever that. That's, uh, I mean, 70% seems reasonable to me. Like if you, if you, whoever hires the next coach, if he was here for 10 years, they made the NCAA tournament seven times. They made made the Sweet Sixteen twice. Yeah, and the Elite you need Eight the twice, once. not the one. You need the twice, Pete. I so think now we're now we're gonna get into semantics. They were like three to... times, but yeah, point taken. But I would be like, okay, I, I I might not say like that's unbelievable, yeah. but I'd say like that's a good job. A seat, a Sweet Sixteen quality team can lose in the second round to another Sweet Sixteen quality team. Is my point? Sure, just oh, yeah. like Notre Dame did. No doubt. It's a total crapshoot. Well, not a total crapshoot, but it's There's, it's got some crapshoot qualities. It does have some crapshoot, <laughs> some crappy, some crapshoot qualities. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. All right, second second basketball question. We'll uh, we'll finish with a couple of footballs. Uh, Mister Irish Red, what are the top three characteristics or traits you guys want in the next men's basketball coach? Um, yeah, that's a question. I put in a notation there for us. Go ahead. Well, I can guarantee you one is he's going to be defensive minded because that's how the sports, how sport hiring works. When you get rid of a player's coach, you bring in a hard ass. When you get rid of an offensive coordinator that likes to run the ball, you bring in one that likes to throw it. When you bring in a three, four, you bring in a four, three. Notre Dame is going to have a young defensive minded coach come in. And if he's not a young defensive minded coach, he's going to be an old defensive minded coach because <laughs> the absolute separation of offense and defense for Mike Bray's basketball programs, as if they're somehow not related, doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me that we went for 18 of 23 years with what well, just, I mean, we just can't guard, we can't guard people we just can't guard people yet. You play everybody that says, yeah, they really got up and guarded us. You know why? Cause half the game, you're supposed to be really getting up and guarding somebody. Well, you have to play a deeper bench in order to do that. Okay. Right? Well, then do that. I get it. I get it. That's one of my criteria that you, you have to develop depth and you have to go, you have to play deeper into your lineup. I understand why Mike Bray favored that and did that many times, but similarly, similarly to football, like along the defensive line, you've got to go deeper into your roster. Now they're too, everybody's big and strong and you get, you get worn out because of the, the level of athleticism and strength and exertion that right. it takes to play the game. And it's different. I, I get that Notre Dame can't rebound like North Carolina with what they can recruit, but you can still play defense like Virginia with what you can recruit because it's a different situation than, than keeping Baycott off of your boards. But do we don't, I, I mean, this, okay. Tell me how you feel about this. I, I, I don't, I mean, Tony Bennett's a great coach and he's done great things and he won a national title, but do you want to watch that offense on a No, but they're just an example of a team that can play great defense that does not have North Carolina's talent all the time. Okay. I would agree with yeah. that, but I, 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 I would like a coach that, that, that has a team with a little bit more consistent offensive prowess than what Virginia shows. I realize I, he's great and has done great things. Pete, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I think O'Malley made this point in Monday musings. Like, I don't need a defensive minded coach. I just need a coach that doesn't have a defensive coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody's more balanced as a head coach. Um, but that all would come after 
the energy and drive to recruit. That would be my first and second thing. Uh, and then a balanced head coach would be the third. Um, totally agree with everything you're saying. Juice is what I wrote down. Energy, uh, defense, but not Tony Bennett. Like to the point where your your offense, where you, you know, they won a national title, but a lot of times, yes, they, they did. They yeah. lose, they, no, they did, but a lot of times they lose and they lose early in the in the NSA tournament because they don't have enough offense. And who do you really want to watch that? I, just think about the reaction to that style of of play. I know I can see you're asking me the wrong year. You're asking me the wrong year. If I really want to watch Virginia play basketball. Okay. I agree with what Samson's saying. There's, there's, there's gotta be a balance. And, 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 and part of it is approach in terms of how you coach it. And the other part is you have to play, you have to play more guys. Now you have to trust your bench and you can't, Cormac Ryan and Nate Lashevsky and Dane Goodwin are not physically capable of of playing 36 minutes a game at against the level of athleticism and strength that they have to play against completely agree um the last well what was the the last thing well in recruiting of course i mean i think you need a oh gosh you need a young energetic guy and you have to you have to hammer the transfer portal if that means predominantly most all are grad transfers because of the issues that nordame's dealing with and bringing in undergrads, then that's what you have to do until you build up your recruiting base. I, I we're going to have to go down this road again, but when did these issues begin for recruiting undergrad transfers in basketball? Because Mike Bray revived his career recruiting undergrad transfers in basketball. Well, then, so then my, the point is the young energetic guy that you bring in to recruit it, it Hey, undergrads. Great. And you're right. He, he proved it in the past and he did it with, Notre Dame student athlete type players, right? I mean, there's yeah. I mean, like, where would how would it how would have his career started at Notre Dame without Ryan Humphrey and Danny Miller? Yeah, Danny Miller was was very significant from the outset. No, you're absolutely right. And Tim, you're absolutely right. Trey Wirtz and Cormac Ryan are undergrad transfers. They came in 150 years ago. I I like Humphrey and Miller though. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, you want to talk about reason, uh, other underrated reasons why Notre Dame has fallen off? Ryan Humphrey is not on the coaching yeah. staff. Ryan Humphrey didn't have an opportunity. Well, I'm not really sure that they have the candidates to. Would he have made Matt Zona? He wasn't going to make Matt Zona a, a Martin Gebbin, but. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's get back to what you just said. Recruiting is the only thing I care about. Next question. Matt Zona, Martin Gevin is what is what we're what we're looking at here. All right. Martin, Martin Gevin became a player. It took four years for him to become a player. And he was the best player on an injury riddled team his last year. He was good. Year. Yeah. He was, he was good really, really good. Changing he ends had, left and right had, that year. He could play offense. He could rebound. He had shooting range. He was really and he good. He was terrible his freshman year. Remember watching was, him? You're like, what are you doing recruiting this guy? <laughs> Wow, he came a long, long way. And who gets the credit? I mean, that's that's got to be Ryan right. Hunt. Oh, well, and, and uh, they do. I mean, Mike Bray has good player development. Let's not forget how yeah, yeah. Mike Bray's done yeah. a great job developing players big, over the years. Big men, big men. Tim, your candidates, like I think you talked of, uh, you wrote yeah. about this, but oh, we haven't really talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to overdwell on this. I think the two NBA candidates are, are, um, are Quinn and Sweeney. I ultimately, I don't think it's going to be. 
either one of those. I think it's going to come more from the Pat Kelsey from Charleston, Darren, Darren DeVries, DeVries from Drake, Micah Shrewsbury from Penn State, maybe Bryce Drew from Grand Canyon. I know he had the awful last season at Vanderbilt, which leaves a negative impression for a lot of people. We put Jay Wright on the list, not because we think Jay Wright's going to come out of retirement and coach Notre Dame, but because we believe that Notre Dame was going to ask Jay Wright if he wanted to come out of retirement and coach at Notre Dame. And uh, if they did ask that question, which I haven't followed up on, I'm assuming that he did or will say no to that. Until you follow up and get a no, I'm going to assume yes, because it makes days more fun. That make that seems like it'd be a good time. If Jay Wright comes out of retirement and coaches Notre Dame for no reason whatsoever, I would like that. I, I you know, DeVries, Kelsey, Shrewsbury, I think those are really, really good candidates. I, I really do. I think they'd uh, all be good. I'm intrigued by each one of them in, in different ways. Kelsey's 21 and one at Charleston. Their only loss is to North Carolina at North Carolina on November 11th. Well, if you can't beat North Carolina, I'm not sure what you're doing here as a Notre <laughs> Dame coach. So <laughs> uh, Shrewsbury pedigree, great pedigree from the NBA um, and under Matt Painter. Uh, Kelsey, great pedigree as, as a player and a coach. Uh I, I think all three of those guys are really good, very, very good candidates. I think Nordin can have success with any one of those three. Do you guys have any? Pete, I know, I, you know, I, I communicate with Brian Hamilton from The Athletic, and I think he believes it's Shrewsbury ultimately from that group. He had some other list uh, names on that list. Porter Moser from Oklahoma. I don't, I personally don't think he's going to leave. Uh, Oklahoma's so, in his second. So you get Ryan Humphrey back. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Ryan Humphrey, of course, for people that don't know, he's on Porter Moser's staff at Oklahoma. But I don't think, you know, Oklahoma's about to go into the SEC. I think there's a lot of money there for him. Um, yeah, I don't know because, like, Porter Moser is a Midwest, more Midwest guy. I mean, it's, I think, more of a cultural fit hire. Um, you know, there's a different in a different time where Mike Bray retires about two years or earlier, I think Porter Moser would have been a serious, serious candidate um, here. Maybe the time and place isn't, isn't where it needs to be right. Dusty may from Florida Dusty Atlanta may is, was also is a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a wild card candidate, but um, I, I guess I just sort of, I would like Notre Dame to find somebody who has had consistent success at whatever level they've been at. Um, and I think Darren DeVries at Drake, they've won 20 games, I think five straight years. It's not like they've been unbelievable, like Greg Marshall, at Wichita, um, in terms of like mid-major success, but he's had a consistently good program. Well, um, also Kelsey, you'd get his kid too, who's yeah, a yeah, really good, good player. Uh, 18, he scored an 18 a game. Kelsey was successful at Winthrop and now at Charleston. Yeah. Was only one, like, his first two. year at Charleston. I think he went 17 and 15, but other than that, he's been very successful. Shrewsbury is just in his second year at Penn State. They were under 500 last year. They're better this year. They're considerably better, I think. It's hard to evaluate a Penn State basketball program, isn't it? I mean, yeah, just, that's kind of incongruous in my mind with, with Penn State. But those are the guys. Uh, and if we I, – I, Martin Inglesby, I just – I don't think that Nordham goes that route. I, I don't. 
I, I don't think that that excites the fan base. If that plays any role in that, I mean, Martin's a hell of a guy and a, a very solid coach, but I don't know that the, I don't know that the personality uh, sparks any, any interest among the fan base. Uh, okay. Let's uh, pop back into football. Dollar, dollar bills. Do you see any quote, Benjamin Morrison's in the incoming freshman class? Someone that comes in, becomes a starter and impact player as a true freshman. Aside from Hartman, which of the other transfers do you think will have the biggest impact on the team? I think second part in Congress with Hartman, Caleb Smith can have an impact on the team. Uh, as I think I jumped on this in, a, in the previous segment. That, that downfield acumen for Sam Hartman is going to play well with Caleb Smith. Um, Harper just, I think if Harper stays healthy, he'll have a good impact, big impact on the team. I don't believe, I think Caleb Smith is an upgrade to what Notre Dame had a receiver last year, along with what's coming back. I don't think Harper's an upgrade to what Notre Dame had a nickel last year, though. So that's why I guess I rank him behind Caleb Smith. And then, of course, John Baptiste should be number two behind Hartman. Yeah, Harper's a would have been a good answer for the spring practice performance that might change how you view it. If yeah, Thomas Harper yeah. has a great spring, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, it's just like finding another playmaker in the back five or back six if they're playing nickel or dime like that that would change a little bit about how i saw notre dame and its potential for this season but um you know the benjamin morrison is tough because i don't think we would have i'm sure that we didn't mention him in any january podcast last year nor do i think we would have we mentioned him in any april podcast last year or june podcast last year but as soon as training camp started, we that's when you started to hear about him. So it's well, he didn't I don't know who that would be. June. He didn't arrive yeah. till June. You but know? that's yeah. it's he just like won't. he wasn't somebody that the coaching staff like when I heard in the press box, like this guy might be the best corner we've signed in 10 years. Um, I heard that like before the Ohio State game. It wasn't like a in April and May, when we talked to our sources, I didn't hear a lot of like, just wait till Ben Morrison gets here. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, nor did nor did we. I mean, to make an exact comparison, since Morrison didn't arrive until June, I I, I would throw out the name of Brandon Hillman, who was very impressive throughout the entire week at the Polynesian Bowl, and he will not arrive until uh, June as well. So is that right? That's correct, right? He's not he's not early in. That's correct. Yeah. Um, now, one that is an early entry, Christian Gray. I mean, maybe maybe he is a guy. Tim, you had mentioned him uh, earlier. Yeah, he's despite the fact that he's joining a group that has Benjamin Morrison, uh, has what we assume will be a healthy Cam Hart, a veteran in Clarence Lewis that you're not easily replacing um, in a lineup. But as Pete mentioned, maybe Clarence Lewis has some positional versatility. Christian Gray is the guy that you could show up and they'd be like, wow, uh, no one gets open on Christian Gray. That is a possibility. Too. That, that's what I, I think that would change. That's another guy to change my mind. Too, and I think there's, there's, an, there's enough athleticism and just athletic talent in Jeremiah Love to come out yeah. again, not, not arriving until June, but you could see, um, you know, kind of like, well, like uh, Jadarian Price. Now he was an early entry last year. And he impressed right away. But I mean, you could because of Jeremiah loves just athletic ability and skill. I can see him being a guy, but he's not a, he's not really at a position of tremendous need unless you, you know, use him in the slot a little bit more, uh, something along those lines, but yeah. Hillman doesn't arrive until June. And, uh, you know, we're always talking about safety. And, 
I did not mean to omit Jaden Mickey's name. He's also will be a much better player as a second oh, no player doubt than as a freshman. No, no doubt about it. And thanks for bringing that up. Uh, okay, last question. And I had my list of uh, NFL candidates, but I'll go ahead and ask it, Tim. <laughs> what are your predictions on uh, this is from Matty Heaps, 14? What are your predictions on where the Nordin guys will be going in the NFL draft? We're in the oh. early stages of that. Uh, Tim O'Malley has has uh, taken over responsibility of NFL draft stuff, and he wrote the recent story. So, Tim, let's start with you. Well, let's start with, I think we all expect Michael Mayer to be drafted this season into the NFL and in the first round as well. So, Michael Mayer, um, I mean, I think Foskey's the next off the board. Don't you guys agree with that? Yes, over? yes yeah. definitely. Yep. And, then Patterson, and then definitely Patterson is the next off the board for me as well. It's almost the most obvious one, two, three we've had in a long time. Um, NFL GMs or NFL draft Knicks or some combination of all of them are higher on Brandon Joseph than probably all three of us, right? I think that's going to change. Yeah, I could see that, but um, right now. But I mean, in say, what way? Like, are we going to get higher on him or are they going to get lower? No, uh, Tariq Bracey is going to impress them more than Brandon Joseph. I was about to bring up Bracey. If Tariq Bracey runs well, and you got to run well because there are a lot of good cornerback options out there in college football to go to the NFL, plus a lot of guys in that league that can play. And they go to places like Southern Illinois and Western Carolina and any other college you want to name. There's plenty of corners. But I think Bracey will be a better pro than Brandon Joseph. Does he get drafted ahead of Brandon Joseph? I think so. I mean, I realize that they're going to, you're right. They're going to look at everybody and they're going to test them in this and that and this and that. And then, but when they pop the tape in, they've got so much film of Tariq Bracey shutting people down, making plays and yeah, making physical plays too. I think Tariq Bracey has a chance. I don't, we're not at the stage of projecting no rounds yet, but I I project Mayer to go around one. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that too. And I would project Foskey going no later than round two. Right. I agree with you. Uh, And, you know, Patterson's an established, I I don't know that his injury situation. I mean, hell, he's, he, the fact that he played through the injuries he did this year, I think would be a a real bonus for him. But I think Tariq Bracey, wherever, wherever somebody might have him projected right now, which would probably be near the end of the draft. I think he's going to go higher than that. Yeah. I like, Hmm. I wonder where Bracey will go just based on what O'Malley said. Cause like, there's a lot of bad tape on him too, but like it's all earlier in his career. Yeah. Um, I could see GMs being like, you know what? I see this other trick Bracey from Southern Illinois. Who's an inch and a half taller and a 10th of a, or a hundredth of a second quicker. I'm going to go with that guy. I could see Tariq Bracey not being drafted, but then sticking in the league for a while, just cause he's, he was just a super efficient player, like corners who can tackle. It's hard to find them sometimes. That's a, that's a minimum in the pros. So yeah, and Patterson, I'm, I would say Patterson, I'm really interested in because like, what's the value for interior offensive linemen? I don't know. It's like whatever team needs them. Like, I think Jared Patterson probably will get drafted later than we think he should, but then be a multi-year NFL player. I'm going to spice up this podcast here right now. I will bet you Pete Sampson a hundred bucks that Tariq Bracey gets drafted. No, I, I'm definitely not taking that bet. I'm just I will saying bet that... you a hundred dollars that Tariq Bracey is drafted within the first name that tune within the first round. There you go. hundred bucks. I'm <laughs> done. <right here>. Sold. <laughs> Five rounds. 
first five rounds. I could say six, but I don't think I don't think you'd take that. I'll no, I wouldn't take rounds. All right, let's go for it. <laughs> I am not betting. Will Jason Adamiola? Adam Alola. Sorry, I apologize to the five years of us being told the wrong way of speaking, Kurt Heinisch. Uh, will he be drafted? I don't know. I, I don't think Justin will. I don't think so either. I, you know, Jason has a, he, the, the size factor. I mean, you love the motor and you love the, he's a, he's a hell of a football player, but um, I would like to see a team factor that in that seventh he, round, though, because he's a heck of a football player. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. definitely in somebody's camp, and I he think, will play. Okay, Jason Edemiel will play in the NFL. I will say I, that. I, I right wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree with that either. I wouldn't disagree with that either. Um, I, you know, I would love to. I would love to be in a in a film evaluator's um, film room, watching Josh Lug the last eight games of 2022. He'll play in the league too. I just don't know if the draft pick happens there or not. I would, yeah, I think Josh Lug will go in the seventh round, actually. What about Bo Bauer? He won't get drafted. I don't think he was ever going to get drafted with the, with the injury. Oh. Multiple injuries. Yeah. He'll get a shot. I mean, guys like that. Well, guys that are, I mean, he's going to with, camp and playing special teams. Yeah, yeah no doubt. No if doubt. he's healthy enough, he makes the team. My God. He's not yeah, healthy enough, he, he doesn't could, make the team. He could, you know, on maybe not your Isaac Rochelle projection, but he could stay in the league for a long time just playing. I, I See, I'm not making a, re- a projection like that on Bauer because I think medically he could easily yeah. be disqualified from playing within his next in, well, his next injury. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about these guys that we're mentioning as lower draft, potential lower draft picks? I just like I kind of go back to like Kirk Heinish went undrafted. Um Ian Williams went undrafted. Wow. Did did Romeo Romeo Quara went undrafted? Like a lot of good college players yep. from Notre Dame have gone undrafted. So Lug I mean, I see seems that. to have a why don't we bring him into our camp though feel to him for sure. For like, sure. Oh, one hundred. So many spots, so many ways he can help. Yeah. So it's I don't know. That's it's a long, long way away, but um I, I feel like in general, we always sort of overvalue Notre Dame, the draft position of Notre Dame's players, other than like first round picks, um, just because we don't know who's playing at Western Carolina or North Dakota right. State. Right. And most guys in the league are not drafted necessarily all the time. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. you're you're in that 50, 48% range where a lot of free agents make it, man. Yep. Uh, very long podcast there, Jack Freeman, right? Very long podcast. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, it's not because we want to deprive people of a long podcast. It's just how how podcasts are listened to and not listened to. So we try to keep them a little bit tighter. But we had a lot to say today. We had basketball to talk about, and we are going to come, we will be back next week. But be prepared for a Wednesday, February first podcast because on Tuesday, January thirty first, Justin Scott will be making a decision, or we expect him. To make a decision so we're going to push this back one day uh to either lament his decision or celebrate <laughs> it and talk about trying to hold him keep him uh keep him in tow until signing day in december which i believe is december 20th a wednesday so that's it today for irish illustrated insider we appreciate you joining us we'll talk with you next week <laughs>